The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 70 to the chief musician, a psalm of David to bring to remembrance. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Let them be ashamed and confounded who seek my life. Let them be turned back and confused who desire my hurt. Let them be turned back because of their shame who say, Aha! Aha! Let those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. And let those who love your salvation continually say, Let God be magnified. But I am poor and needy. Make haste to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh, Lord, do not delay. Okay, we are in Numbers chapter 3 today. We're going to do verses 14 through 39. This is entitled, A Sign in the Wilderness. Okay, now, I have been telling you for three chapters that I'm going to tie everything together eventually. We got all kinds of stuff, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of stuff, and you're saying, what is all this pointing to? You'll find out today. Okay, verse 14. Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, Number the children of Levi by their fathers' houses, by their families. You shall number every male from a month old and above. So Moses numbered them according to the word of the Lord as he was commanded. These were the sons of Levi by their names, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And these are the names of the sons of Gershon by their families, Livni and Shimei. And the sons of Kohath by their families, Amram, Izahar, Hebron, and Uziel. And the sons of Merari by their families, Mali and Mushi. These are the families of the Levites by their fathers' houses. From Gershon came the family of the Livnites and the family of the Shemites. These were the families of the Gershonites. Those who were numbered according to the number of all the males from a month old and above, of those who were numbered, there were 7,500. The families of the Gershonites were to camp behind the tabernacle westward. And the leader of the father's house of the Gershonites was Elisaph, the son of Lael. The duties of the children of Gershon in the tabernacle of meeting included the tabernacle, the tent with its covering, the screen for the door of the tabernacle of meeting, the screen for the door of the court, the hangings of the court, which are around the tabernacle, and the altar and their cords according to all the work relating to them. From Kohath came the family of the Amramites, the family of the Isharites, the family of the Hephronites, and the family of the Uzielites. These are the families of the Kohathites. According to the number of all the males from a month old and above, there were 8,600 keeping charge of the sanctuary. The families of the children of Kohath were to camp on the south side of the tabernacle. And the leader of the father's house of the families of the Kohathites was Elizaphan, the son of Uziel. Their duty included the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the utensils of the sanctuary with which they ministered, the screen, and all the work relating to them. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, was to be chief over the leaders of the Levites with oversight of those who kept charge of the sanctuary. From Merari came the family of the Malites and the family of the Mushites. These were the families of Merari. And those who were numbered according to the number of all the males from a month old and above were 6,200. The leader of the father's house of the families of Merari was Zuriel, the son of Abihel. These were to camp on the north side of the tabernacle, 
and the appointed duty of the children of Merari included the boards of the tabernacle, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, its utensils, all the work relating to them, and the pillars of the court all around with their sockets, their pegs, and their cords. Moreover, those who were to camp before the tabernacle on the east, before the tabernacle of meeting, were Moses, Aaron, and his sons, keeping charge of the sanctuary to meet the needs of the children of Israel, but the outsider who came near was to be put to death. All who were numbered of the Levites, whom Moses and Aaron numbered at the command of the Lord by their families, all the males from a month old and above, were 22,000. There are a whole heap of verses today, but they're going to go quickly. It's the poem at the end that might take us a while to get through, but even that won't take too long, believe me, it's true. I know the verses from the past two chapters, and so far in this one, are not easy to sit and read. How much more, then, do we make them interesting enough to be the focal point of our Sunday morning, right? Well, you've stuck it out this far, and the verses here are not nearly as repetitive as what is coming in chapter 7, so don't feel too overwhelmed by them. And now that I think of it, maybe I shouldn't have mentioned what is coming in that chapter. I can see it now. An empty church on that Sunday as everyone finds something else to do other than listen to that. But don't worry, that too will go quickly. How do I know? I typed it this past Monday and it almost broke my brain doing it. But I got through it and you will too. One bite at a time and the meal gets finished. One shovel at a time and the hole gets dug or filled in. Then one step at a time and you're on the mountaintop. What we need to do is look for joy in the process of doing things. If we're eating, we can slowly enjoy each flavor that we taste. If we're digging a hole, we can think about the pretty plant or whatever the hole is dug for that we will be putting into it. If we're climbing a mountain, we can stop on the way up and find 10,000 little flowers, each one unique as it pokes its head out of some seemingly impossible to support life crag or crevice. The joy is not just being at the end of things but it can be found in the doing of things. That's why God gave us tasks like going through the long, long list of details about the numbering of people in a congregation that he had led out of the bondage of Egypt. Eventually, they would be counted, arranged, and then set out for their journey to the land of promise. While traveling, they would become the object of attention to those who noticed they're coming. Our text verse comes from Numbers chapter 24. It's verses 5 and 6. I've used this as a previous text verse. I'm using again today for a reason. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. The Lord recorded Balaam's reaction to the beauty of the layout of Israel's encampment in the wilderness. He made an oracle about it, and the Lord put that oracle in his word for us to read and to see how much the prophet appreciated what he saw. It is similar to another description of a war encampment in our own history. That is found in the Battle Hymn of the Republic, written by Julia Ward Howe. Here's how she says it. I have seen him in the watchfires of a hundred circling camps. They have builded him an altar in the evening dews and damps. I can read his righteous sentence by the dim and flaring lamps. His day is marching on. Her words are truly beautiful concerning the layout of men prepared for battle. And maybe we should look at what God has put in his word in that way too. 
if we can simply appreciate what he has recorded as a sign of life in the wilderness concerning the whole host of Israel, maybe we can then appreciate a mental picture of them in the way that Balaam did. Let's try that as we go on. It's all to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. I have just two thoughts for you today. The first is a long one. It's the census of the Levites is verses 14 through 39. Verse 14, then the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai saying, the words of this verse still fall under the main category presented in verse 3-1 concerning the Toledot or the generations of Aaron and Moses, meaning the tribe of Levi as is presented by and through them. After stating that this was the intent of the passage, the names of Aaron's sons were given, including two that had already died. Next, Moses was told to have Levi brought near in order to serve the Lord concerning everything connected to the tent of meeting. They were to be set apart, given entirely to Aaron in the place of the firstborn of the children of Israel. The Lord had claimed the firstborn at the Exodus, but now he has exchanged them for the Levites. With this understanding, the words of this verse are given. What the Lord speaks to Moses will be in accord with that thought. Verse 15, number the children of Levi by their father's houses, by their families. The Levites are now numbered. Previously, the Lord said to Moses that they were not to be numbered according to their father's tribe, meaning along with the other tribes. That was seen in Numbers 1, verses 47 through 49, which said, But the Levites were not numbered among them by their father's tribe. For the Lord had spoken to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not number, nor take a census of them among the children of Israel. This didn't mean that they were not to be numbered at all, but that the numbering now being conducted is separate from the other tribes and for an entirely different purpose and principle, that of service to the Lord. Thus, their counting is to be done in a completely different manner than that of the other tribes, as is seen in the next words. Verse 15 continues, You shall number every male from a month old and above. Every male of the Levites is reckoned as the Lord's possession. Their counting was to begin when they were one month of age, and it was inclusive of all males after that. This is completely different than the counting of the other tribes. In Numbers chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it said, Take a census of all of the congregation of the children of Israel, by their families, by their father's houses, according to the number of names, every male individually, from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war in Israel. You and Aaron shall number them by their armies. The other tribes were counted from 20 years old and above, because they were to be reckoned as men of war. The Levites were to be taken in place of the firstborn of the other tribes, but there would be firstborn of all ages, and so as their substitutes before the Lord, all ages of Levites are counted, regardless of their ability to serve. In chapter 4, they were counted from 30 and above for service. In chapter 8, they will be seen to enter into the service at 25, and then they are to retire from service at the age of 50. Verse 16, so Moses numbered them according to the word of the Lord as he was commanded. The words here actually precede the counting of them in the record, but they are given now to show that what follows was in accord with the word of the Lord. Thus, the counting which follows is already accomplished at the writing of the words of this verse. The term, according to the word of the Lord, is Alpi Yehovah, or literally, according to the mouth of Yehovah. It is common terminology, but the explanation for it is useful from time to time. The word peh, 
or mouth eventually finds its source in a root which means to puff. Thus Moses has performed his duties according to the word breathed out to him by Jehovah. The Lord commanded and Moses in turn performed. Verse 17, these were the sons of Levi by their names, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The father's houses and then their families, as cited in verse 15, are now beginning to be named. What follows is to be a breakdown for the census according to the listing given in Exodus chapter 6, which said, these are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, and the years of the life of Levi were 137. The sons of Gershon were Livni and Shimei, according to their families, and the sons of Kohath were Amram, Ezahar, Hebron, and Uziel. And the years of the life of Kohath were 133. The sons of Merari were Mali and Mushi. These are the families of Levi, according to their generations. The houses of Levi are according to the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Levi means attached. Gerson means exiled one. Kohath means either obedience or congregation. It comes from a root signifying to ally oneself. So you can see it could be either obedience, allying yourself to somebody that way, or congregation. Merari means bitter or my bitterness. Verse 18, and these are the names of the sons of Gershon by their families, Livni and Shimei. The houses are broken down into families. The families of the house of Gershon are Livni and Shimei, Livni means white, Shimei means renowned or famous. Verse 19, and the sons of Kohath by their families, Amram, Izahar, Hevron, and Uziel. Next are the families of Kohath. Amram means a people exalted. Izhar has a few possible meanings that signify something related to zenith or shining or anointed, something like that. Hevron means confederation or alliance. Uziel means God is my strength or strength of God. Verse 20, and the sons of Merari by their families, Mali and Mushi. Mali means infirmity or weak. Mushi may mean drawn out or proved of the Lord. Those words are debatable. Verse 20 continues, these are the families of the Levites by their father's houses. Again, the record is being specific. There is the house of the fathers, meaning the three sons of Levi, and then there are the families within those houses, according to the sons within the house. In all, there are eight families recorded from their father's houses. This will then be re-explained once again in a new way as follows. Verse 21, from Gershon came the family of the Livnites and the family of the Shemites. Gershon is a son of Levi, thus a house within the tribe of Levi. The names of his sons are then considered as families within the house. Thus these names, the Livnites and the Shemites, correspond to Livni and Shimei. Although this might be obvious, the records are detailed, just as birth and genealogical records are today. What we read here may have very little value to us because it would be like reading the genealogy of the Shimabuku family over in Japan or the Garrett family over in England. But to the family who bears the name, it holds great meaning. In maintaining these records, the Levites would always be aware of their position and their responsibilities within the tribe. Verse 21 continues, these were the families of the Gershonites. The record of the Gershonite families, the oldest son of Levi, is complete. From that, a total of their number can then be made. Verse 22, those who are numbered according to the number of all the males, from a month old and above, of those who are numbered, there were 7,500. 
Again, remember that this is a total counting of all males from a month old and upward, not merely of adult males ready for war. The number of the two families within Gershon is set at 7,500. Thus, they are less than the total of Kohath and more than the total of Merari. Their positioning within the camp is next to be given. Verse 23. The families of the Gershonites were to camp behind the tabernacle westward. The name Gershon means exiled one. It is suited to their location. They are the furthest Yama or west. Yama signifies sea and thus the direction is given in relation to the land of Israel where the great sea, the Mediterranean, is to the west. Being in the west, the Gershonites are furthest from the entrance to the sanctuary. Whether this is simply happenstance or not, it is fitting to the name exiled one nonetheless. Their position then placed them between the sanctuary and the tribes with the smallest number of forces, those of Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. When combined, in total numbers, they will still be the smallest group of people in size. Verse 24, And the leader of the father's house of the Gershonites was Eliasaph, the son of Lael. Eliasaph means God has added. Lael means by God or belonging to God. He is named as the leader of the entire house of Gershon and thus was over the families within the clan. Surprisingly, his family, be it Livni or Shimei, is not indicated. Verse 25, the duties of the children of Gershon in the tabernacle of meeting included the tabernacle, the tent with its covering, the screen for the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Gershon does the tent work, much of which is described in Exodus chapter 26. This would actually be several layers of tent which were draped over the tabernacle and which consisted of various materials. They would handle all of this along with the screen for the opening of the tent of meeting. To see what all of these things detail, you need to go back and watch the Exodus sermons again. Magnificent pictures of Christ are seen in every single detail. Verse 26, the screen for the door of the court, the hangings of the court, which are around the tabernacle and the altar and their cords, according to all the work relating to them. Much of the detail of these things is found in Exodus 27. Merari is given charge of all of these things. The materials, when fully packed up for transport, would be a very heavy load, despite being mostly fabrics. There was a great amount in total. Again, every single detail was reviewed and explained in how each points to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Be sure to go back and brush up on those sermons. Verse 27, from Kohath came the family of the Amramites, the family of the Isharites, the family of the Hebronites, and the family of the Uzielites. Kohath is a son of Levi, thus a house within the tribe. The names of his sons are then considered families within the house. Thus, these names, the Amramites, the Izaharites, the Hebronites, and the Uzielites, correspond to Amram, Izahar, Hebron, and Uziel. The four sons of Kohath are equal in number to both of the other two sons of Levi. Moses and Aaron and his sons are from Amram. They are reckoned as such, but they are not considered in the placement of Amram when they encamp. That will be seen in a couple of verses. Verse 27 continues, these were the families of the Kohathites. The record of the Kohathite families, the middle son of Levi, is complete. From that, a total tally of their number can then be made. Verse 28, according to the number of all the males from a month old and above, there were 8,600 keeping charge of the sanctuary. The total counting of all males from a month old and upward in the four families within Kohath is set at 8,600. Thus, they are the largest clan within the tribe of Levi. 
They are noted here as keeping charge of HaKodesh, or the Holy. This is the first time the term is used in the book of Numbers. It is stated to indicate the holy things within the sanctuary which the members of this tribe will be responsible for. Their positioning within the camp is next given. Verse 29, the families of the children of Kohath were to camp on the south side of the tabernacle. These families are to be on the south, meaning the right side. The right is not considered from the perspective of those entering the sanctuary, but from the position of the ark within the tabernacle. Thus, the south side is the right side. It is the honorable side. Despite being the largest family of the Levites, the position of Kohath places them between the sanctuary and the tribes with the smallest number of forces, those of Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. Now, doesn't that seem like an odd grouping then? Verse 30, And the leader of the father's house of the families of the Kohathites was Elizaphan, the son of Uziel. Elizaphan means God hides or God has protected. He is named as the leader of the entire house of Kohath, and thus was over the families within the clan. Everything about this has an air of distinction. The meaning of the name Kohath and those of his sons as well all fit well with the placement on this right, honorable side. Verse 31, their duty included the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the utensils of the sanctuary with which they ministered, the screen, and all the work relating to them. These are the precious and holy objects within the tabernacle itself. These were to be carried by men, not placed on carts. Thus, even if there was more labor involved in the taking down and putting up of the other objects, there was more labor in the transportation of these. The responsibility of this tribe is of the highest measure. Verse 32, And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, was to be chief over the leaders of the Levites, with oversight of those who kept charge of the sanctuary. Here the words unsi nasi, or and leader, leader, is applied to Eleazar, the son of Aaron. Thus he is designated as the chief leader. In 2 Kings, chapter 25, verse 18, the same position is called the second priest. He is the eldest surviving son of Aaron, and he would perform the work of Aaron if Aaron was sick or otherwise unable to perform his duties. He is thus in the superior position above all of the other priests or Levites. He is the son of Aaron. Aaron, though high priest, is a son of Amram, who is a son of Kohath. This is the reason for mentioning this position now. While dealing with the tribe of Kohath, they are getting this detail for you to understand. A new word here, pekudah, a noun indicating custody or care, is introduced here to describe this status. Thus, he is the superior authority of all of the servants of HaKodesh, or of the holy things of the Lord. Verse 33, from Merari came the family of the Malites and the family of the Mushites. Merari is a son of Levi, thus a house within the tribe. The names of his sons are considered families within the house. These names, the Malites and the Mushites, correspond to Mali and Mushi. Verse 33 continues, these were the families of Merari. The record of the families of Merari, the youngest son of Levi, is complete. From that, a tally of their number can then be made. Verse 34, and those who were numbered according to the number of all of the males from a month old and above were 6,200. The total counting of all of the males from a month old and upward in the two families within Merari is set at 6,200. Thus, they are the smallest clan within the tribe of Levi. For the previous two tribes, Gershon and Kohath, the order of given information was one, recorded number. 
Two, placement in relation to the tabernacle. And then three, the name of the leader. That pattern is now deviated from. Instead of giving the placement first, the leader's name is given. Verse 35, the leaders of the father's house of the families of Merari was Zuriel, the son of Abihail. The name Zuriel means something like, my rock is God or rock of God. The name Abihail, as you all perfectly remember, I know you do from the book of Esther, is father of might. Zuriel is named as the leader of the entire house of Gershon, and thus was over the families within the clan. His family, be it Mali or Mushi, is not named. Their positioning within the camp is next to be given. Verse 35 continues, these were to camp on the north side of the tabernacle. These families are to be on the north, meaning on the left side. Again, the direction is not considered from the perspective of entering the sanctuary, but from the position of the ark within the tabernacle. Thus, the north is on the left side. It is the weaker, less noble side. The meaning of the names of Merari and his sons leans heavily towards the placement of them on the north. For example, Mali means infirmity or weak. It is fitting then to the left side placement. Despite being the smallest family of the Levites, the position of Merari places them between the sanctuary and the tribes with the second largest number of forces those of Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. Doesn't that again seem like an odd grouping? Verse 36, And the appointed duty of the children of Merari included the boards of the tabernacle, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, its utensils, all the work relating to them. We waited until this chapter to see the first use of pekudah, or oversight. And then in just four verses, we are given its second use. The tribe of Merari is given oversight of this list of objects, which are the basis of the tabernacle itself. These heaviest and most burdensome objects are given to the smallest and the last-born family within the tribe. Go ahead. Let the last in the family really have it. With two older brothers, I, like Marari, am used to it. But their heavy labors are not yet done. The immense weight of the objects just named will have more added on to their load. Verse 37, and the pillars of the court all around with their sockets, their pegs, and their cords. These are described in Exodus 27. It is a lot, and I mean a lot, of solid brass sockets with accompanying pillars. That's okay. The young guys can handle it. Now with the three houses of Levi properly placed, the Lord has one more placement to make. Verse 38, moreover, those who were to camp before the tabernacle on the east. It has already been seen that the standard of Judah would be Kedemah, or east of the sanctuary. Along with them would be Issachar and Zebulun. They are by far the largest number in regards to total people camped on any side of the sanctuary. However, there will be a small, small contingent between them and the tabernacle itself. Verse 38 continues, before the tabernacle of meeting. Lifne ohel moed mizraha. Before the tent of meeting, eastward. It's almost tragic when translators will translate two different words with two different meanings in one sentence with the same word in English. The first clause mentioned the Mishkan, or tabernacle. That was, moreover, those who were to camp before the tabernacle on the east. That was the word Mishkan. This clause now mentions the Ohel Moed, or tent of meeting. There is a reason for this precision, and it is rather sloppy to ignore it. The tabernacle is inside of the tent of meeting. Although one is enclosed in another, they are two different things. And even more, the previous clause said Kedemah, or toward the east. This clause says Mizraha, or eastward. 
the New King James Version, which I use for sermons, didn't even bother to translate the word. But there is a reason for it. The entire layout is pointing eastward toward the sunrise, as the word Mizraha implies. The beauty of the symbolism being portrayed is completely lost without properly tending to the Hebrew. Understanding this, we see that between the tribes under the standard of Judah and before the tent of meeting, there at its entrance, verse 38 continues, were Moses, Aaron, and his sons. The lawgiver and the high priest and his sons, meaning the priesthood in total, is located at this particular spot. It is a splendid picture of access to God being only through his word and his high priest. In other words, as they picture Christ, one can only come to God through Christ, the word of God and God's high priest. As a side note, liberal theologians are gross. I want you to know that they are gross. (laughs) Cambridge says of this clause, the mention of his name in a command given to him is strange. It would be still stranger if he were the writer of the passage. They imply that it wasn't the Lord who said for Moses to be so positioned in relation to the sanctuary, and they say it is even less likely that Moses is the author. Personally, I don't envy them in whatever they have coming in the way they treat God's word. Verse 38 continues, keeping charge of the sanctuary. This is the first time that the Mikdash, or sanctuary, is mentioned in the book of Numbers. This is speaking of the entire compound within the court and everything within it. Moses and Aaron and his sons were there to keep charge of the entire sanctuary. The responsibility ultimately rested upon them and their constant watch of it. Verse 38 continues to meet the needs of the children of Israel. The same word just used and translated as charge in the previous clause is used again in this clause. It says, for the charge of the sons of Israel. The question is whether this means instead of the children of Israel or for the safety of the children of Israel. The latter appears to be the case because, verse 38 continues, but the outsider who came near was to be put to death. The word outsider means anyone not authorized. The only time someone could approach the sanctuary was as outlined in the book of Leviticus when one came to make an offering or a sacrifice and so on. If anyone dared to approach that was not authorized, there was only one penalty, death. Verse 39, that's kind of scary, isn't it? Coming to God in in an inappropriate manner, and that shows you. Who was standing there right at the beginning of the sanctuary? Moses and Aaron. You have to come through God's word, and you have to come through his high priest. Anybody else receives death. It's a picture of there being one way to salvation. Keep thinking of Jesus, every word that you look at, because it's all picturing what he has done and what he is doing for us. Verse 39, all who are numbered of the Levites, whom Moses and Aaron numbered at the commandment of the Lord by their families, all the males from a month old and above, were 22,000. If you were astute, you notice that in verse 16, only Moses was mentioned as having numbered them. However, here, Aaron is included as having participated. The Hebrew text has a point, a dot, above the word be'acharon, or and Aaron. Some attempt to say that it is a spurious insertion that is noted by the point. It's more likely that it is showing that verse 39 is simply acknowledging that what verse 16 had instructed and that Moses did according to the word of the Lord with Aaron's assisting in the numbering. It doesn't change anything in regards to the obedience of Moses in fulfilling the command of the Lord. If you're double astute, then you have noticed that the numbers do not match up. 
adding 7,500 to 8,600 to 6,200, you arrive at 22,300. There's a difference of 300 in the total. It is a problem that is not left without possible solutions. The first is that the 8,600 should actually read 8,300. Okay, the words shesh and shalosh being one letter different. However, that would demonstrate complete incompetence because of such an error. I don't like that. What will make it more difficult to reconcile is that the total number of firstborn of the other tribes will have an impossible number of firstborn in relation to the number of people counted. No sufficient explanation that I know of has been given for either number. But what I would suggest is that the reason for the differences is because the number of firstborn is speaking of native Israelites and not those who later joined, known as the mixed multitude who came out of Egypt and who later were inculcated into the ranks of the various tribes. In this, the 300-person disparity omits the firstborn of the native-born Levites, who cannot be counted against the whole because the firstborn already belonged to the Lord. This would be in complete accord with the law of the stranger joining the congregation of Israel, as is described in Exodus 12. And it would follow with what will occur in the future in Israel, as is recorded in Ezekiel chapter 47. Here's what it says. It shall be, this is after the tribulation period, it shall be that you will divide it by lot as an inheritance for yourselves. And for the strangers who dwell among you and who bear children among you, they shall be to you as native born among the children of Israel. They shall have an inheritance with you among the tribes of Israel. Only the firstborn of Israel is counted despite the total counting of all who had joined Israel. This would also explain the large numbers which are recorded after a sojourn in Egypt of 215 years. 70 people went down. 215 years later, we have 3 million people leaving the land of Egypt. It doesn't add up unless you add in the mixed multitude. I explained this before. It figures out everything. And I don't know anybody that's come up with that conclusion, but it is sufficient to satisfy me. Okay, And I don't like to have things that are left hanging threads that aren't answered and all of the explanations I've read and I've read a lot of them don't make up for all of these what you would call seemingly errors but if you add in the mixed multitude which are clearly recorded and then never mentioned again when they land in Canaan it explains everything okay I want you to know that the people of God brought together as one when they come to him in faith as he requires it is through faith alone faith in his son that we are granted eternal life life that never expires. From Jew and from Gentile, all are welcome. From rich and from poor, none are excluded. By faith in Christ, he accepts all, not just some. Yes, through faith in Christ, all who come are included. Thank you, O God, that we have access again. People from every tribe and every tongue are to you reconciled, whether young or old, whether women or men. Because of Christ Jesus, you have again on us smiled. Our second thought today is a sign in the wilderness. We have now gone through three long, very involved, and if you don't like numbers and minutiae, very tiring chapters. However, I have constantly informed you that everything points to Christ in this wonderful book. Sometimes it just takes a bit more time to make the picture than at other times. This one took us almost three full chapters with a few interspersed pictures coming out in the process. While reading numbers many, many years ago, I got to chapter three and I said, well, isn't that curious? I mentioned what I thought was curious as we went along. 
The Lord commanded that a larger number of Levites would be placed with a smaller number in their corresponding three tribes on the south side, and that a smaller number of Levites would be placed with a larger number in their corresponding three tribes on the north side. As soon as I made that connection, it became clear what was happening. And why would he do this? Why would he do it? It must be remembered that at very few times, maybe even only one or two, in the entire 40 years that they were in the wilderness, they would actually be able to encamp as directed by the Lord. There simply wasn't enough space to do so in most places in Sinai that they traveled. But when they could be properly laid out as he directed, it would become a sign of his love for the people of the world. I decided to graph out the tribes according to their numbers, and by the time I started putting them on a graph, I already had a picture in my mind of what was coming, and it came out exactly as it was supposed to. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock, capital R, rock, that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Paul clearly shows that as the Israelites traveled through the desert, they actually interacted with things that were living pictures of life in Christ. He didn't just do this with things, though. He did it with them as a people as well. The mandated census of the 12 tribes and of Levi, the arrangement of the tribes and then the Levites, the directions they were to face and so on, were all specified by who? By him. Nothing was left up to the people. Nothing. As presented, the layout of the tribes was Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, east of the tabernacle at 186,400 men as well as families. On the south, there was Reuben, Simeon, and Gad encamped with 151,450 men along with families. On the west were Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin with 108,100 men along with families. On the north are the tribes of Dan, Asher, and Naphtali with 157,600 men and, of course, their families. Then came the Levites. The Gershonites equaled 7,500 and were to camp on the west. The Kohathites numbered 8,600 and camped on the south. And the Merarites equaled 6,200 and camped on the north. The last to be positioned were Moses, Aaron, and his sons who camped east toward the sunrise. East, 186,400 plus Moses, Aaron, and his sons. West, 108,100 plus 7,500 equals 115,600. North, 157,600 plus 6,200 is 163,800. South, 151,450 plus 8,600 equals 160,050. By putting the larger number of Levites to the south and the smaller to the north, things pretty much even out. In fact, it stands at 97.71% equal. Now think about the layout in real human terms. Not like a study Bible shows you. A study Bible will draw a little box indicating the tabernacle and then a bunch of names tossed around it in the order that the names are listed. Or they will make neat little boxes representing each tribe and put their names in them all in little rows so that you can see easily the layout. Such depictions are entirely incorrect. Imagine a big demonstration at the Washington Mall, say 200 to 500,000 people. 
you were talking about acres and acres and acres of people. Now imagine 603,550 men plus 22,000 Levites and then toss in their families, say two to three million people total, along with tents, sheep, donkeys, wagons, and so on. This would take up square miles of land. All the tribes designated east of the tabernacle would have to be east of it. All of those designated south would have to be south, etc. Now put the numbers to life, and what would you actually see from an airplane? Or better yet, what would Balaam, who spoke out our text verse today, see? He would see a massive miles square cross. The numbers, when properly graphed, show a cross, with the north and south almost imperceptibly different in size, the east considerably longer and the west considerably shorter, exactly as a cross is depicted for the hanging of a human being who is suspended off the ground with his arms outspread. The Israelites, under ideal conditions as they traveled for 40 years, were a picture of life in Christ, forming a miles square cross in the desert. One thing to consider, though, is that the tabernacle would have been at the very center of the cross, and the Ark of the Covenant would have been where Christ's heart would have been on the cross of Calvary. It may have taken a bit of time and a large number of verses to get to where we have arrived, but once again, God is showing us what is coming in the giving of his Son. The entire Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. It is, in fact, all about him. In understanding this marvelous picture, as has been presented, we can go back and see the significance of why the tribe of Judah, or praise, is the lead tribe and the first to set out. They were to the east of the tabernacle and would be the base of the cross. The picture, let praise of the Lord go first and let it be the foundation of our love and devotion to God in Jesus Christ. Also, the name Jehovah, the Lord, is spelled yod Hey vav Hey. Judah, however, is spelled yod Hey vav dalit Hey. A Dalit is added to the divine name. The letter Dalit signifies a door. Jesus came from Judah, and he is the door, as is stated in John 10, verse 7. Thus, Jesus is the door to restored access to the Lord, Jehovah. To approach the tabernacle where the Lord is, one must come through Judah at the east. But it is where the blood of Christ would have flowed down on a cross. One must come through the shed blood of Christ, the door. As far as the cross, the top of it would be three tribes which descend from Rachel, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. If you remember from the Genesis sermons, the two wives of Jacob, Leah and Rachel, formed their own pictures, the law and grace. Leah was the law, Rachel was grace. The symbolism is absolutely marvelous. One must come through the fulfilled law, which is the shed blood of Christ, but it is grace which then adorns the top of the cross. It is the pinnacle of what God has done in Jesus Christ, and it is what adorns his work. God chose the names of these tribes and the people to be arranged in such a way that they would provide us with a snapshot of what he had planned in Christ's coming and in what that would mean to us. You've seen just a few of them today to show you that all of the detail has been given as a picture of God's love for the people of the world as displayed in the giving of his son. 
Let us reflect on such things and endeavor to put Christ first in our lives. God has put him on prominent display in his word. So should we, as people of God, live in his presence. As we opened with Julia Ward Howe's words, let's consider one more refrain from her poem in light of what we have learned today. She said, In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea with the glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me. As he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free while God is marching on. Think of the symbolism of those 12 tribes marching to the land of promise, picturing what Christ would do for us. Think of it. We ignore this word. We read through it quickly because we don't understand it. And all we have to do is say, Lord, why? 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 And he's going to show you. If you just ask him why, he's going to show you. Every single thing that he does is for a reason, and it's to show you how much he loves you, how much he loves you in the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. Even the layout of the tribes of the people, every name had a purpose, every number had a purpose, everything. He's infinitely wise, and he knew in advance who to put where so that he would picture his son for us. If you've never called on Jesus Christ as Lord, just pick up his word and check it out. I mean, don't be so stubborn and so arrogant that you have to say, I don't believe that. That's because you're lazy. That's because you're lazy. You don't want to take the time and the effort to see if what God says is true. But it is. And we see it week after week in this church that his word is true. And it wants us to call out to Christ. I would pray that you would do that today. I'm going to read that again because I know I've got it out of me. In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea with a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me. As he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free while God is marching on. Our closing verse comes from Galatians chapter 6. It's the 14th verse. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Next week, Numbers 3, 40 through 51, in being redeemed, everything is sunny. It's entitled the Redemption Money. That'll be our sixth number sermon. I'd like to tell you that the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It may seem at times that you're lost in a desert, wandering aimlessly, but the Lord is there. He showed you that today, carefully leading you to the land of promise. So follow him and trust him, and he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? And I, being curious, after I found that and I graphed it all out, and I put it on my website, and this is way back, 2004, I think, I checked. I said, I wonder if anybody else has come up with this. And there are several people that have that on their websites that they had found that as well and I was so excited because it just confirmed to me what I you know you don't want to be a lone voice out there people think you're crazy but sure enough it's amazing it's amazing what he's shown us absolutely amazing before we uh, give our poem today I want to tell you that uh, we got somebody in Ireland that does artwork for us every single week for our sermons and uh, his name is Doug. And this past week, they had a real tragedy in their house when uh, his wife and he lost their precious dog. 
it got run over, and I know that hurt their heart. But he, even through the stress of the week with a real bad headache, he wasn't feeling well. He did a, a artwork for us for this sermon, and I want to thank him. He does such beautiful work. He's such a servant of the Lord. And I emailed him. I don't usually do this, but I gave him the uh, sermon information in advance. I said, in case you want to know what's coming, because I don't want to influence your artwork, but I want you to know in case, you know, you want an idea. And, uh, you know, I just don't like people reading the sermons before I give them because I want to share in the joy with them. But Doug, uh, he read it and he says, That's, I was thinking that this past week. And he said, if I got to that point in the sermon without you having sent this to me, I would have been shouting out loud. <laughs> Uh, All right, here we go. It's a long one, but it'll go quick. It's called A Sign in the Wilderness. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, so he was relaying, in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, Number the children of Levi by their father's houses, so you shall do. By their families you shall number every male, from a month old and above, as I am instructing you. So Moses numbered them according to the word of the Lord, as he was commanded, no detail was ignored. These were the sons of Levi by their names, so we see, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, yes, these three. And these are the names of the sons of Gershon by their families, Livni and Shimei, so they are known. And the sons of Kohath by their families, as the record does tell, Amram, Izahar, Hebron, and Uziel. And the sons of Merari by their families, too, we see, Mali and Mushi. These are the families of the Levites, just the men, not including their spouses, by their fathers' houses. From Gershon came the family of the Livnites and the family of the Shimites as well. These were the families of the Gershonites, as the records do tell. Those who were numbered according to the number of all the males, from a month old and above, great and small, of those who were numbered, there were 7,500 in all. The families of the Gershonites who were to camp behind the tabernacle westward, as the Lord did tell, and the leader of the father's house of the Gershonites was Eliasaph, the son of Lael. The duties of the children of Gershon and the tabernacle of meeting, as the Lord did say, included the tabernacle, the tent with this covering, the screen for the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and yet more was coming their way. The screen for the door of the court, the hangings of the court, which are around the tabernacle, and the altar and their cords, according to all the work relating to them, so they were to tackle. From Kohath came the family of the Amramites, the family of the Izharites, and the family of the Hebronites too, and the family of the Uzielites. These were the families of the Kohathites through and through. According to the number of all the males, from a month old and above, as we see, there were 8,600 keeping charge of the sanctuary. The families of the children of Kohath, the Lord did decide, were to camp on the tabernacle's south side. And the leader of the father's house of the families, so the record does tell, of the Kohathites was Elizaphan, the son of Uziel. Their duty included the ark, the table, the lampstands, the altars, the utensils of the sanctuary with which they ministered, the screen, and all the work relating to them as we now see. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, was to be chief over the leaders of the Levites, with oversight of those who kept charge of the sanctuary, watching every detail, not just the highlights. From Merari came the family of the Malites and the family of the Mushites also. These were the families of Merari, as we now know. And those who were numbered, according to the number of all the males, as the record said, from a month old and above, were 6,200. The leader of the father's house of the families of Merari was Zuriel, the son of Abihail. These were to camp on the north side of the tabernacle, as to them the Lord did tell. And the appointed duty of the children of Merari included the boards of the tabernacle, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, its utensils, according to these words, all the work relating to them, and the pillars of the court all around with their sockets, their pegs, and their cords. 
Moreover, those who were to camp before the tabernacle on the east, before the tabernacle of meeting, so we see, were Moses, Aaron, and his sons, keeping charge of the sanctuary to meet the needs of the children of Israel. But the outsider who came near was to be put to death, as the Lord did tell. All who were numbered of the Levites, whom Moses and Aaron numbered at the commandment of the Lord, by their families, all the males from a month old and above, were 22,000, so the tally does record. Lord God, we are even now in a wilderness, and we are wanting to be led by you. Without you to direct our lives would be a mess, and so be our guide, O God, you who are faithful and true. We long for the water in this barren land. May it flow forth from the rock our souls to satisfy. Give us this refreshing spiritual hand, and may we take it and to our lives daily it apply. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us your path you have shown. Hallelujah, we shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. amen. Heavenly Father. Thank you for the wonder of your word. Thank you that it points us directly time and time again to Jesus. And Lord, I would pray today, you know, Israel is so lost without you. They're a nation of people that are called by your name. They're blessed by you. And yet they take that blessing and they squander it because they don't have the relationship with you that they're supposed to. And so I would pray today that people in Israel would open their eyes and be willing to just accept your word as it's written, to search it out and to find things that even a person that has very little theological knowledge can figure out, that the tribes of Israel were laid out in such a way as to display the cross of Calvary. If they could just see that, if they would just open their eyes, then they would say, maybe there's more to this than I realized. Lord, I pray for them. I pray for them collectively and individually. Lord, we certainly lift up all of the people that we mentioned at the beginning of this service. We're thankful that Bob is coming back, but we continue to pray for him. We pray for Darla and her troubles and all of the other people that I read out, their, their troubles, their trials, their joys, their difficulties, whatever they are, we lift them up to you, Lord. You know what's best. So we lay these in your capable hand, knowing that you will tend to them according to your wisdom. And Lord, we commit the Lord's Supper to you. We do so in the name of Jesus, and we make this prayer in the name of Jesus as well. Amen.